Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 58 of The Leadership Window. Glad to have you along. This is a solo episode, and I think it's going to be fairly brief. Uh, We're not going to take a whole long time on this, but this is an episode I've been wanting to do and I've been promising, and I kind of have a little window here. (laughs) We had a guest lined up for this week who will be on now in a couple of weeks, and she came on and her microphone wasn't quite working the way that she wanted it to because I think a wire was broken and we thought well let's do it anyway and we started doing it and then my equipment started malfunctioning and we just said you know what we we need to be in a better space where everything is working and we don't have to stress over that so let's reschedule this for a couple of weeks out and uh, you work on your equipment I'll work on my equipment when I get my equipment taken care of, I'll do this solo episode in the meantime. So stay tuned for Nike Anani because she is our next guest on the leadership window. And she's going to be talking about succession planning, founders syndrome. Um, her lens is family business and family foundations and those kinds of things. But so much of what she does for businesses applies to just general succession planning and founder syndrome in the nonprofit sector, which we deal with all the time. Uh, it's one of the, it's one of the top things on the radar for many of the organizations that we work with and have experience with. So really excited to hear from, uh, Nikkei when she gets here and we can get all that difficulty work at worked out. I want to go ahead and real quickly uh, thank Leadership Systems Incorporated, where I serve as an adjunct certified leadership coach, and they've just continued to support the Jinx perspective in our work. One of the ways they do that is by offering uh, special discounts on their coaching training for listeners of this podcast. And uh, I, I'll just let Michael Wallace at LSI tell you a little bit more about that. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Michael. We really do appreciate leadership systems, uh, high quality training. Dr. Jim Smith has been training coaches and leaders for over three decades, a trainer and coach at the Center for Creative Leadership. Uh, LSI has been around since I think 1992, working with some of the biggest companies and and military institutions in the, in the world. And I'm just, I'm proud to be a partner with them. Uh, today, I wanna share a little bit I want to give you a brief summary of the the study that I conducted as a part of my PhD program in organizational leadership. 
which is now all done and and you know yay yay me that's i'm i'm thrilled to be done with it but what really came out of this was just so much learning some of it affirmation some of it a couple of things in this dissertation process that surprised me a little bit the dissertation i took on is um on nonprofit mission measurement how nonprofits measure their performance against their stated missions. That's what the study is. And I chose it really for a lot of reasons. Having spent now close to three decades in and around the social sector, I have been involved in strategic planning and mission and vision statement building and all of that measurement for all of that time. And I have found just incredible dysfunction (laughs) and lack of understanding maybe in the sector around how these things all really connect. If you've been to strategic planning sessions or talked with members of your boards, you know, you've heard the debates on what's the difference between a strategy and a tactic or a goal and an objective, or is this a mission statement or is it a vision statement? And, you know, there's, we get hung up on the semantics and we get hung up on the terms and words are important, but we sometimes get hung up on those things. And one of the things that I've found throughout the years is too many boards focus on statement building rather than mission building or on statement building rather than culture and values building or vision building. In other words, we're focused on the language of the statement and that's the exercise. Let's build a mission statement and everybody chimes in with the right words and you debate, do we mean we, or do we mean us? Do we mean and, or, or do we, you know, and, and it really becomes this exercise in wordsmithing rather than really having a deep conversation about what is our charge? That's really it. When you, if you want to know what, what's a mission statement, a mission statement is a statement of your charge. This is what we're charged to do. This is our mission. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to fill in the blank. Uh, it's a military term, by the way. Strategy is a military term. It originated in a military context. Look it up. The origins of the word. I won't go into all that. But when we say mission, vision, uh, you know, strategy, tactics, those are, those are military terms. They're battle terms. Well, in, in the military, you know, your mission is to take that hill or your mission is to set a perimeter around this encampment or your mission is an extraction mission or a reconnaissance mission. It is your charge. It is this is what we're sending you out to go do. Pretty simple. What's a vision statement? A vision statement is it's vision. It is what do we see that hasn't happened yet? What is our aspiration? What do we envision being true as a result of a successful fulfillment of our mission? That's kind of, that's kind of the vision. Best analogy I can come up with on that to help organizations think about it is when you're putting together a jigsaw puzzle, you put the box top in front of you so that you can see what you're putting together. That's your aspiration. That's the picture you're going for. That's the vision. So they can get confused. And in my study, what I found is uh, that actually happens a lot where organizations actually flip. They've got their vision statement is actually a mission statement. 
And many organizations have two mission statements and they don't even realize it. Their mission statement says what their charge is and then their vision statement also gives them another charge. Sometimes it's the same one, just worded differently. Other times it's really a little slightly different thing. And when we help organizations see that and it dawns on them and they, they can get clarity around what their statements actually are saying, it's, it's pretty eye-opening for them. So this, this is why I went about studying this particular aspect. I had done a little bit of study in, in some of my book writing and things on where boards spend their time in terms of how much of it is spent at the strategic level and the generative level versus the operational tactical in the weeds, perfunctory fiduciary kind of level. And, um, and the, again, the, the numbers aren't good. The, the research, not just mine, but board sources and uh, other entities who have done some research, research on this will tell you boards don't spend a lot of time together over the course of a year working on strategy, driving it, monitoring it, ensuring it, thinking about it, adapting it, revising it, refreshing it, imagining it. We spend most of our time in a board meeting working on the budget and why office expenses were higher last month than they were the previous month. And, and you know, what, what, what's, you know, who's going to man the ticket table at the fundraising gala. It's those kinds of things we spend the majority of our time on, or we're reporting on things that have already happened. Lots of reporting gets done at board meetings. Not a lot of generative strategy happens. And that starts at the mission level. And when we ask boards what your mission is, what is your charge, without putting the mission statement in front of them, you sometimes get a lot of different answers from the board. And you would think it's pretty important for everybody to kind of be on the same page in terms of what your mission is. So we did this study uh, because another reason we did it is because the nonprofit sector is it's a it's a pretty significant piece of the the global economy. Uh, you know, there's there's nearly two million nonprofits in the United States alone. Uh, they generate over two trillion dollars a year in revenue. They are over a trillion dollars impact back on the economy. You know, probably seven hundred billion of that just in wages alone, of somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twelve million employees. It's a it's a it's a big piece of the puzzle. And so it is incumbent on nonprofits to get it right. Because here's the other thing, a nonprofit, and we're talking mostly about the, the tax exempt, mostly in the charitable section that those are the organizations that we focused on in our study, the health and human services kind of arena of the nonprofit sector. You're getting a tax break from the federal government. You're, you're being told that in exchange for the delivery of a mission that is making an impact in our communities across the country, you won't have to pay income taxes on your revenue. Pretty, pretty good trade-off if we are actually accomplishing the mission that we promise that we're accomplishing. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on the perspective that you come at, the IRS doesn't monitor whether or not you're achieving your mission. They don't come back and say, okay, your mission is to end homelessness. Did you do it? Because if you haven't ended it yet over a certain period of time, we're going to revoke your tax exempt status. 
they don't do that. They don't really come back and measure whether or not you've achieved your mission. So who's doing it? And what about the public trust? What about the community that literally owns your nonprofit? Um, your public promise to them to gain the public trust is that you are delivering on a mission. And so what is the accountability for that? And too often what happens, not, not out of any malice or, you know, kind of laziness or anything, just kind of it's built into the culture. We just kind of feel like if we're working on the mission intuitively, we, we're, we're doing, we're doing good. And we don't, you know, I, I've even, I've even read and heard people say this stuff on measuring our work is hogwash. You know, we can't measure this stuff. It's too nebulous, it's too hard. It's too, let's get off the metrics train and just do good work. You know, we know we're doing good. I'm not in that camp. <laughs> uh, and, and that's part of why I did this study. So, um, the, the study involved a couple of pieces. If you're familiar with how a dissertation works, um, there's sort of two parts of this. There's the secondary research and the primary research. The secondary research actually is written about first, and that is what has already been studied out there. Let's go collect that. And I don't know, my, my district, my study has probably a hundred and almost 150 different sources uh, that I reference to try to find what's already been written about and studied both empirically, qualitatively, thought leadership, all of that. What's, what's the study, what's the literature already say about this? And I'm not going to go in and, and read the whole <laughs> literature review to you, but I will just tell you that what I found was that not many people have attempted empirical study on mission measurement. Many studies have been done on organizations that do some sort of performance measurement, but they don't define performance or organizational effectiveness, but they don't define effectiveness. And so they're very subjective studies. And there have been mission statement studies, for example, that demonstrate relationships, quantitative studies that demonstrate uh, a positive relationship, for example, between mission statement elements and higher organizational performance. For example, let me give you, let me give you one example of the kind of study we're talking about. There was a study done that looked at the language used in mission statements and they constructed a model um, using scores of four positive variables and, and a few negative variables as well. The positive variables were in mission statement semantics, the positive variables were aggression, accomplishment, communication, and motion. Think about those words in your mission statement, it, aggression. And we don't mean like, you know, in a bad way, literally we mean in a positive way that you're, you're, uh, deliberately and, um, passionately pursuing something meaningful aggression accomplishment how much how, how much of your mission statement is comprised of elements of accomplishment communication what are we communicating with our mission and motion motion 
but then they subtracted scores of three variables that they described as negative, like cognitive terms, meaning is the mission statement uh, sort of, you know, do the cognitive terms kind of cloud the statement because it's too, too, uh, too academic speak. And they don't really, the cognitive terms are conceptual. They don't really, they don't really communicate aggression, accomplishment, communication, emotion. Another one is passivity and another one is embellishment. And this is a big one. That embellishment word is a big one in mission statements. World peace. Our mission is to improve the lives of everyone in our community through our work. And there's this embellishment of what we're out there doing. And the study showed that, that there is higher organizational performance when the positive variables are present in the mission statement and the negative variables are not present in the mission statement. So there have been studies on just the mission statement construct itself. Um, There's research that connects mission balance with employee motivation. Um, So there's, there's studies on the mission, but not on the degree to which organizations can measure whether or not they are achieving or at least advancing their mission. There was a study, um, uh, a Chinese study of uh, the relevance of mission statement, uh, 200 and almost 230 nonprofits that revealed a positive relationship between mission statements and organizational performance using Kaplan and Norton's balanced scorecard. Many of you listening to this, if you're in organizational leadership, or you've been around even in the social sector, the balanced scorecard is a um, uh, sort of a codified model um, very much in the mainstream of business for quite some time. And there is even a, uh, a nonprofit version of the, um, the balanced scorecard that includes the accomplishment of mission. So there are studies on this, but we still don't know who's measuring this and who's come up with a way to measure this. So we centered on two core studies in the literature. One was a study done in 1998, actually uh, 1996 and 1998, late, late 90s, uh, a study by Sheehan and a study by Forbes that looked at nonprofit mission measurement. And I, I want to tell you kind of how some of this when Sheehan's study, who, who writes on mission matters and mission measurement uh, in his book as well, Sheehan's study uh, was the one study. Forbes looked at what are all the studies out there, and he pointed to Sheehan's as the only one among 20 studies that they analyzed that actually had some mission measurement quantitative data that was meaningful and useful. And so Sheehan asked two questions, primary, primarily two questions of his research. Number one, is the mission expressed as an intention to affect the world outside the organization, the organization itself, or both? Let me say that again. Think about your mission statement for your organization as we, as we go through this. Sheehan's, one of Sheehan's research questions was, are, are organizations' mission statements are they about affecting the world outside the organization? Are they about affecting the organization itself or both? And the second research question, do performance measures assess mission accomplishment? 
And it's that second question that was really relevant for my study. Now, how did he go about asking that? Let's get a little bit deeper into the methodology. In the study that he did with the nonprofits that he researched, he sent the survey to 639 philanthropic 501c3 organizations in the Columbus, Ohio area. He ended up with somewhere around a hundred or a little over a hundred that responded to it. And in the, in the questionnaire, he asked among other things, please explain how you determine whether the organization is or is not accomplishing the mission. Just ask him, just open-ended qualitative question. Please explain how you determine whether the organization is or is not accomplishing the mission. And then he said, please list any results, outcomes, and specific evidence you look at to make this determination. <laughs> um, th this is a little bit about, this is a little bit in line with the questionnaire that I used in my study, which I'll get to in a moment. Second, he asked, does the board of directors determine whether the organization is accomplishing the mission in the same way you have explained in your response to the previous question. That is a powerful question. You ask the CEO, how do you determine whether or not the organization is achieving the mission? And then you ask, does the board determine it using the same lens? Critical question. So uh, I won't go into all of the methodology, but here, here were the results. They, they had a, uh, they, they got a team of qualified inter-raters that evaluated the evidence that organizations were reporting in. Is this really an outcome, for example, or is this more of an output? And uh, in the end, they discounted out of 101 responses, uh, I think they discounted maybe 20 of them. Let's see, uh, eight fell short of the reliability standard. And then they analyzed whether the report measures uh, logically and adequately related to the mission accomplishment, and they discounted another 12. So there were around 80-something uh, organizations in this. Only 49 of the 101 respondents reported any reliable measures, Okay, just under half. Only 14 of those qualified as measures of impact, defined as having made a difference in the condition of a person, place, or thing outside the organization. Let me say this again. A lot of people struggle with this concept. You got 100 nonprofits. Only 14 of them in this study were able to demonstrate Qualified measures of impact defined as having made a difference in the condition of a person, place, or thing outside the organization. They had some kind of measurement, indicator, metric. The vast majority of the organizations were reporting and tracking things like internal metrics or the, the, the inputs, the activities, you know, we, we did this many workshops, we delivered this many meals, we had this many volunteers, not the outcomes of what actually changed in the condition of a person, place, or thing outside the organization. So that was the primary 
study that referred to in the in the literature and it is the only study i could find in this entire time that i spent looking for it that had anything like that kind of question now there was another question in south carolina where i live and do a majority of my work so it's why why i focused on this state and in South Carolina, a little bit later in 2006, there was a study that indicated a little bit more favorable trend in performance measurement, but with some qualifiers. The research was conducted by the Nonprofit Education Initiative at Clemson, and it centered on 142 nonprofits in the state. 123 of them, or 86% of the respondents, indicated they conduct evaluations of their programs. Which, by the way, that's a good trend. I mean, that 10 years before, that number probably would have been under half. So more and more organizations are at least measuring, they're doing some kind of evaluation of their specific programs. But that's their specific programs, not necessarily their mission as a whole. And 92%, or actually no, 92 of the 123 respondents reported using performance measures. So about 65%. Now, the researchers disclosed a caveat for their findings, and they clarified that they did not define in their study, in their questionnaire, what they meant by either performance or outcome measures. So, you know, you got some respondents that, that think they're measuring outcomes, but they're not. This, this was strictly a self-reporting. Do you or do you not track outcomes? And they took the answer. So they didn't do like Sheehan and evaluate them to see, are these really outcomes? So those were the two studies, and and then we went about our study. And here was our study. I interviewed 13 nonprofit CEOs across the state of South Carolina, divided fairly equally be, be, uh, between our major regions, the upstate, the low country near Charleston, the Midlands where, where I live in Columbia. And we, we balanced it out, and it was a random selection of nonprofit organizations, and I conducted about 90-minute interviews with 13 CEOs, one-on-one, -on -one, confidential and anonymous. I mean, I knew who they were, but we don't list them in the study. And I asked them a series of questions similar to the ones that Sheehan asked in his study. What do you measure in your organization? And uh, I, I, won't, I won't go into the whole methodology of the study, but let me just get now to the results of my study, just some of the, the key results here. The results of my study mirrored and affirmed the findings in the literature. What I did in, in interviewing these nonprofits and applying the literature plus what I was deter what I had experienced and what I was finding in my interviews, discovered that there's sort of a constructual, a, a um, conceptual model. And I want you to imagine a pyramid with the point at the top. And at the bottom, this pyramid's divided into three levels. And at level one on the bottom, those are the business metrics. How much money did we raise? Uh, profit and loss, overhead percentage, employee turnover rate, volunteer recruitment, you know, the, the business metrics. All 13 of the organizations I interviewed had some level of business metrics, all 13 of them. 
Of course, because we measure our revenue against our expenses and our overhead. And I mean, much of this level one metrics, the IRS requires in our filings, the auditor requires, the, the board requires. I mean, how do you function without some sort of internal metrics? Level two, then in the middle of the pyramid is the program outcomes, program outcomes, not community outcomes, but for the, for the people that we serve directly through our programs, these are the results at level two. Many of the organizations are really good at the outputs. They know how many people they're serving but still a deficiency across the sector in how well we can measure the difference we're making for those people that we serve. What is the measurable change we're helping them create? At the top of the pyramid, level three, is the mission metrics. Do we have any metrics that provide any evidence that we're achieving or advancing our stated mission? Three of the 13. So all 13 did level one. I think seven of them did level two. I'm not on that page right now. And I forget if it's six or seven, but I'm pretty sure it's seven of the organizations were proficient at level two. Only three of the organizations were able to provide concrete examples of mission level metrics. Three out of 13. So this is not an indictment on the other 10 organizations, by the way, what I wanted to reveal in this study was what are the, what are the organizations who are doing it? What are they doing differently? What have they figured out? Cause this is hard. Uh, this it's not easy. If it were easy to do all we'd be doing it all, the 13 organizations that were doing internal metrics would also be doing mission level metrics. It's not easy. It's complicated stuff. Measuring social impact is tough, especially at a mission level, a community level. So one of the things I wanted to discover was, well, why is this? And in the literature that I reviewed, it kept coming back to capacity. Nonprofits don't have the capacity to measure because that requires data systems and those cost money. And that requires training and expertise and, and it requires staff and most organizations have a small staff and it kept coming down to capacity, capacity in the literature. They wrote about how, you know, funders, for example, they want outcomes, but they won't fund the capacity to help you achieve it and the staff, et cetera. In my study, it wasn't, it, I didn't hear that in the 13 organizations. I did not hear that that was the challenge. Now I didn't hear a ton of support from funders, but uh, capacity was a was a bit of a challenge. What I found mostly was that the, the challenge comes in how the mission statement itself is structured. So there's kind of good news and bad news in it. The, the bad news is that we, we write poor mission statements generally across the sector. Again, uh, aspirational and noble, but not conducive to any kind of measurement or you know concrete direction. The good news is that's easily fixed. And, and I, my study has examples and I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, um, read my study. If you want to, I, I'm happy to email it to anyone who, uh, emails me and just asks for a copy of it. I'm happy to send it to you. Uh, but the, um, the thing that I found is that 
the, the mission statement construction is really where it begins. And think about this. Most of the organizations out there, they weren't around when their mission statement was the people that work there were not around when their mission statement was constructed originally. Some of these organizations are a hundred years old. Some of them are 30, 40 years old. Many of the staff, hardly any of the board members were around when the mission statement was formed. So they weren't there to hear the conversation about what the charge was. Now, periodically, some of them have gone back and revisited it, but they look at it from a language standpoint and go, does this still sound good? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, or they'll change it and say, well, you know, really, we kind of need to tweak this and tweak that, but they don't do it from the construct of, do we have a mission that we can know we're accomplishing in some way, at least advancing if we haven't like finished it? Do we have a mission statement that is conducive to that kind of thing? So I found two issues with mission statements. Nine of the 13 organizations that I interviewed contained what, what I came to call a bifurcated, uh, it contained bifurcated language, meaning dual natured missions where one part is aspiration and another part is more of a description of the service. And I'm going to give you an example of this back to the literature and an organization called the Nature Conservancy. Many of you have heard of the Nature Conservancy. And their, their national mission in, uh, at, at the time this study was, was being done, back, I think in the early 2000s, the mission, listen to this mission of the Nature Conservancy, to preserve the plants, animals, and natural communities that represent the diversity of life on earth by protecting the lands and waters they need to survive. Now, I know you don't have this in front of you because this is an audio podcast, so let me read it again. Their mission at the Nature Conservancy to preserve the plants, animals, and natural communities that represent the diversity of life on earth by protecting the lands and waters they need to survive. Here's the key. That word by creates an immediate bifurcation of the mission. It literally splits the mission into two missions. Mission one, let me read the first half. Everything up to the word by. Here's how it reads. Our mission to preserve the plants, animals, and natural communities that represent the diversity of life on earth, period. That's our mission, to preserve. To preserve the plants, animals, and natural communities that represent the diversity of life on earth. Done. That's our mission. That's a clear charge, preservation. But then they threw that word by in there. How do we preserve? By protecting the lands and the waters they need to survive. Now let's take the second half of that mission statement by itself and say the mission of the nature conservancy is to protect the lands and waters that the plants, animals, and natural communities that represent the diversity of life on earth need to survive. So is their mission preservation of, of the plants and animals? Or is their mission the protection of the lands and waters? They're two different things. They're two different charges. 
They come with two different sets of metrics. And for most of their 50-year history at the time, they did real well measuring the success of the second half of their mission statement, but to the detriment of the first half, which, by the way, um, was, was conceded by the late John Sawhill, who was the former CEO at the Nature Conservancy in his, uh, in his research with um, David Williamson, who also served as director of communications for the Nature Conservancy. So this is them saying this about themselves, that we got this wrong because we had this bifurcated mission and we were measuring the second half of it, but we were realizing that we weren't doing so hot on the, the first half of it. Of, of measuring, so they had two components, protect and preserve. They had a handle on measuring their activities and their outputs relating to protecting lands and waters. They measured revenue that they had generated, memberships, and they literally could measure acres protected, 12 million acres. But that rubric left a hole in the mission metrics on the preservation side. And the high extinction rate of diverse species left a lot to be desired in terms of their mission to preserve life diversity. So if you've got a mission statement, go back and look at your mission statement right now. And if you have the word buy in the middle of your mission statement, you have a buy, you probably have a bifurcated mission. Read both read each half, each side of the buy by itself and ask yourself, which one is the mission? Now, there's another key word instead of buy, and that's to. We, we do such and such. And so our mission is to blah, 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 to blah, 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 blah. So we do this to do this. Again, you've bifurcated the mission. Which side of the equation is your charge? And often what happens is that one side of that bifurcated mission is actually a more appropriate vision statement. So let's take the Nature Conservancy, for example. What they, what they sort of land on here is our charge is to protect land and water. Our vision is if we protect the land and the water, our vision is the preservation of diverse life on the earth. Another way that you could say it is that's our theory of change. Our theory of preservation is protection. <laughs> and so... There's a difference in what is our work? What are we going out and actually doing? And when you can focus on that and measure that, you can know whether or not you're accomplishing the mission statement. So that, that bifurcated mission, that was, that was a real thing. We had, um, we had an example, uh, and I'm, I'm changing the words up just a little bit, but we had, uh, here's an organization that, whose mission was to improve the quality of life by providing meals and other basic needs. Now, to improve the quality of life, that's how their mission statement starts. Well, how do you measure improvement in the quality of life of the people you serve? How do you ever know you're advancing or accomplishing that mission? But notice they had the word by in here, which means bifurcated. To improve the quality of life by providing meals among other things, those are the concrete measurement. They can measure the meals they provide and the basic needs they provide, but do they have any kind of indicator for what an improved quality of life means? 
Is the improved quality of life more the vision? More the theory of change. The theory of change is that to improve the quality of life, people need basic things like meals. So that's our theory, and that's why we've chosen that as our mission. I hope you're getting this. This may be incredibly boring to everybody, but it is really critical. Here's another one. Another organization, their mission is to reduce generational poverty by teaching life skills. And I've simplified that, taken out some of the words. One of the things I wanted to do in this study was protect anonymity. So I've paraphrased a little bit, but here's the mission to reduce generational poverty by teaching specific life skills. You catch the word in there by to reduce generational poverty by teaching specific life skills. Okay. So which one is your mission? Reduce generational poverty. Is that your charge or is your charge teaching life skills? And before you say, well, it's both Patrick, it's both one does the other that we want that in our mission statement. And and that's, I get that. Again, that's the theory of change. You're saying that our role in reducing generational poverty is teaching life skills. Are there not a lot of other things that need to happen to reduce generational poverty? What you, what this organization is saying is that our charge is teaching life skills. That's the mission. The vision is a reduction or an elimination of generational poverty. Break the cycle. That's the vision. The mission, the charge, teach life skills. It's really critical to get this right. The second issue with the mission statements was the nebulous nature of mission statements. So we had organizations in the study that use language like improving our community or building character. How do you measure that? Now, I'm not saying you can't. But most organizations that have this kind of language in their mission statements don't. Whether they can or not, that's, that's a question they need to start with. Can we measure improvement in our community? How do we define it? How do we define character? How do we know when we're building it? Are there any metrics behind this? And again, this is where a lot of people will argue. Patrick, you know, we know the things that build character. We, we, can't, we, we might not have a tangible, like, hard number metric for it. And you're right, you might not, but there has to be some indication that your theory of change has credibility. So, um, and again, I, I, I pointed to organizations that sort of flipped their, uh, their, their mission statement with their vision statement, but most of the study's participants in my study said their mission statements aren't measurable as stated. So we we have one organization, for example, whose mission statement centers on prevention and the CEO stated, stated flat out, not sure that's measurable, but seeing the community rates decrease over time that they're trying to decrease could be an indicator of prevention. Could be. So it all depends on whether or not you've defined it and gotten intentional about what that is. The other thing we found is that a lot of organizations are intuitively aware of whether their work is related to their mission. They know if they're kind of in the, in the mission arena, you've heard the term mission drift. Well, is this mission drift for us? So we kind of know whether or not the work aligns 
whether or not we have metrics for advancing the mission. For example, one organization's mission statement states that they fight for those they serve. We fight for the people that we're serving. Well, they know what fighting feels like. They know what that, they know what that means, you know, advocating for public policy change or, you know, whatever that might look, they know what the fighting feels like. So they intuitively know when they're on mission point. Having metrics for the change they aim to create, that's more challenging. So um, maybe I'll do a, a part two of this at some point and go into some of the models that the, the th- I mentioned that three organizations of the 13 are measuring mission level things. How are they doing? And I will tell you that all three of them are doing it slightly differently, slightly differently. But the bottom line is that we really need to think about how we're constructing our mission statements because there is research that shows the language in the mission statement affects a lot of things in our organization, employee engagement, organizational performance. More than that, if we don't know in some definable terms, whether or not we're advancing or accomplishing the stated mission of the organization, uh, you know, I, I, how do we, how do we justify that work? And more and more funders are looking for it. They want those measurements. They want to know there's some framework that you have that measures what you're doing. That's what the study was about. Uh, there's a lot more to it. I just kind of wanted to give the crux of it, but you know, I wanted to determine, you know, I wanted to determine how nonprofits are are measuring their performance against their stated missions and few are and for those that aren't it starts with how your mission statement itself is constructed is it too nebulous lofty noble ethereal conceptual aspirational to be able to measure if so it might be a more appropriate vision statement Ask yourself, what is our charge and how do we know we're advancing our charge? That's the question. And ask yourself when you look at your mission, break it down word by word. That's what I've started doing now with clients. Um, Word for word. What are the pieces of it? What are the words in the mission statement that are measurable? And how do you define the words in your missions? I've I've seen mission statements that say to create systems change. Does anybody know what that means? It's it's a it's a sexy phrase in the sector, right? Systems change, but does your organization understand what you're saying your charge is when you say systems change? What does that mean? And do you have measurement for it? I worked with a Habitat for Humanity organization in Greenville who they grappled with that and they did a great job defining what they mean by systems change and what they intend to do about it measurably. Pretty cool stuff. Actually, what they did is just say, we've got to go beyond that diversity and equity and inclusion. Big time, big time words. Now every nonprofit has those words somewhere in their construct, but do they know what they actually mean? Have they defined them? Do they have some kind of data? Do they have some kind of evidence or metrics or direction that says whether or not they're actually achieving those three things? And it starts with understanding what they are, defining them, and putting together some sort of indicator construct for how we do them. Um, this has been a 
uh, I guess a little bit of a tough episode because I'm trying to articulate this in a way over audio without, uh, without you seeing the document. My email address, if you want to request a copy of my dissertation and, and look at it in more detail, is Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, at jinxperspective.com. J-I-N-K-S perspective.com. Patrick at jinxperspective.com. If you'll email me and say, I listened to your podcast, I'd love to read a copy of your dissertation, I will send you a copy of my dissertation and you can look at the more detail behind it and maybe maybe things will click a little bit better than my trying to explain it. Um, it was a it was a powerful process for me because it was true learning to really dig into this. I really I've, I really came to appreciate what research looks like when you're going through a doctoral program and I have a new level of respect for everybody who's done it because if you haven't done it, boy, like it's an eye opener and you truly do learn because you're curious and you're inquiring, you're trying to really get at an answer to something. And I think we did here. Um, there's a, a book by Alnur Ibrahim that I'll also recommend. It's called measuring social change, measuring social change. The subtitle is performance and accountability in a complex world. It's by Alnor, A L N O O R Ibrahim. E-B-R-A-H-I-M. He is a prolific researcher and writer on this topic of social impact and measuring it. And he talks about how there are different kinds of nonprofits, some of which, some of whom have work that is very conducive to easy outcome measurement, but many of which that their work is so complex, but there still has to be some model for measuring and he describes some of the, some of the practices and models for looking at it. So I highly recommend that book. If you're leading a nonprofit and you want to learn a little bit about that sort of social impact change, particularly if you're in the collective impact world or you're partnering with other entities or you're part of what uh, Ibrahim calls an ecosystem organization, you're not just a niche doing just one thing, providing one service, but you understand you're part of a bigger ecosystem trying to solve a big community issue. I highly recommend this book and anything else by Elner Ibrahim on the subject because it's really good and clear and powerful research. So uh, that's it. I don't, I'm going to stop there and uh, hopefully if you want to know more, you'll reach out and, and uh, hit me up for a copy of the dissertation. I'm happy to give it to you. We'll probably be talking about this a little bit more along the way. I'll try not to do any more, uh, you know, full episodes that are quite this boring. I hope I haven't bored you. Uh, if you're into this stuff, you're not bored. If you're not, you probably tuned out. You, you're probably not listening to me right now. You've moved on. Uh, but do not miss our next episode with Nikkei Anani. We're going to be talking about succession planning in nonprofits, founders syndrome, um, and and family foundations lots of that kind of stuff what are some of the tips and tools that nonprofits need to think about succession planning is a big deal right now uh, a lot of the sector is aging out from a ceo standpoint a lot of boards are asking the question about succession and continuity uh, nike anani is an expert in this and helps businesses all over the world with it particularly in africa so you're going to find it fascinating. Stay with us. And until then, lead on, folks.